This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson at Nebraska Christian Schools, along with my co-host, Josh Cumston. In the studio today, we have the senior pastor at the Minden Evangelical Free Church, Tom Barnes. Welcome to the uh, program today, Tom. Thanks, Gordon. Tom, you spoke at our chapel this morning. We really appreciate that. But you and I were talking about a conference that's coming up, not in the near future, but we already want to have our listeners to be aware of this conference and the person that's speaking, also the group that's bringing him to central Nebraska. So could you tell us about the speaker, the date, and why you think this is such an important conference for central Nebraska? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Gordon. Yeah. We're bringing in uh, Paul David Tripp on November 8th of next year. You say, well, who's the we? It's the Nebraska Gospel Network, which is a coalition of churches in the Tri-City area that have gotten together to uh, put on a conference each year where we try to take a subject, we try to show through that subject how does the gospel impact that particular topic. And so Paul David Tripp, who is a a very well-known conference speaker and author, is going to come in and uh, he's going to talk about parenting. And so we're excited about it. It's going to be held at the Evangelical Free Church in Grand Island. And if you want more information on that conference, you can go to our website for the network. It's nebraskagospel.net. It's easy to remember. It's the Nebraska Gospel Network, and it's nebraskagospel.net is our website. Well, and if any of our listeners are traveling and maybe couldn't write down that information, they can always call us at Nebraska Christian Schools here near Central City, and we'll be glad to get them the information for it. Tom, I was excited to hear that uh, that you guys were bringing in Paul David Tripp. We have, with staff and, and staff development, have been using some of his materials this year in trying to encourage a, a Christian school, a culture of grace. How do you see what he's going to bring benefiting parents, teachers, anybody who works with youth at church or at school? How do you see that fitting in? Well, that's a great question. I've been familiar with uh, Paul Tripp for some time. I know several years ago I read his book, Age of Opportunity, which is just a tremendous resource for parenting teens. And all of his material on parenting, it's going to be good for a parent, but anybody teaching a class, anybody working with uh, young people at all, are really going to benefit from what he has to say just about interacting with uh, kids of all ages. Let's join Tom with today's message. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. But in these last days, he that is God the Father has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then in chapter 2, actually we'll pick it up in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. I think few of us this morning would dispute the fact that this world has become over the last few years a much smaller place. I mean, given the technology that we have, given travel what it is, given the fact that if you've been to a university especially over the last 
generation or two, you probably have rubbed shoulders with people all over the world. We talk and communicate and see things about people all over the world. And so consequently, we are exposed to all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of religions, all kinds of ways of thinking about who God is. Is there a God or not? What is this world about? How do we come to know him? What are our lives all about? And so all of this leads us to ask a question. I mean, we who profess Christ as our Savior and we celebrate Christmas not just as a time of of goodwill and good feelings, but as the time when our Savior came into this world. The only way to God. That word only is very offensive to many people in our world today. And we, because of the fact that our world has become a small place, we have started to ask the question, Can we still hold to that word only? Can we still believe that that baby born in the manger is the only, the exclusive way to God? I mean, after all, there are tons of religious leaders. Jews have Abraham, they have Moses, great leaders that we recognize as well. But they would say, yeah, you know, these guys are preeminent. Muslims would have Muhammad. We can think of other leaders such as Joseph Smith for the Mormons. We can think of Mahatma Gandhi. We can think of all kinds of leaders throughout the world. Why is it that we say that Jesus is the only way to God? Well, that's what we want to pick up this morning. That is the question that we want to pick up. It is a question that was on the minds of the original readers of Hebrews. Why is it that we need to look to Him, trust in Him, see Him as the only way of God, see Him as the only one by whom we can know and grow in God? The message, in fact, of all the book of Hebrews revolves around this. It is found particularly in an intense way in these first two chapters. He is the only one qualified to bring us to and to tell us about God because He is the God-man. It is the truth that I want to unpack from these, basically, these parts of two verses in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Because here there are going to be four statements that the author of Hebrews makes about this particular truth, that Jesus is the God-man and therefore He is qualified to bring us to God He's qualified to be the ultimate communication from and about God. Now, this message has really a lot of punch and application for us this morning for a couple different reasons. All right, first of all, the author of Hebrews says he is uniquely qualified to be the supreme message from God to begin with because he is, Jesus Christ is supreme Lord over all. Notice what the author of Hebrews writes here. Notice what he says in verse 2. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. And so, God the Father appointed God the Son the heir of all things. Now, many of us, if we've grown up around the church and we've heard, well, you know, Jesus is God. We come to a statement like this and we go, what in the world is going on? How does God appoint God to be the heir of all things. I mean, if you appoint somebody to something, that suggests that there's a change in their status. So how is it that Jesus could be appointed the heir of all things? Well, if you stop and think about what this statement is saying, there is huge power and there's punch in what we're being taught here. 
Let's talk about, first of all, what it means that God the Father appointed the Son to something. Well, what this statement is saying is in eternity past, God the Father made a decision that He was going to give this status to the Son that He would have authority and He would have a role to do something. In this statement, it demands that there's more than one person in the Godhead. And we know from Scripture there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we have a little triangle here in front of us in this diagram. We cannot fully understand the Trinity, okay? But please don't be upset about that. The God of all the universe who has no boundaries, no limits. I mean, he's present everywhere, knows all things, has all power, has always been. We would not be able fully to comprehend who he is. I mean, what we know about him, we can truly know and we can accurately know. So the fact that we can't fully understand this is is okay. We can relax. But what we can say about God, the person of the father in, in God is not the son. And the Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. There are three persons. They have three different primary roles, but they are one God. The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Now, why is this important? It's important because what this allows for is for this statement in Hebrews 1-2 to be true. The Father, a different person in the Godhead, appointed the Son to a status, to be something, to take on a role that He has not had for all eternity. And so the Son has not been actually an heir for all eternity, even though it's been decided for all eternity, there was never a time when this decision was not made. It had been decided for all eternity that the son was going to be this heir. He was going to have an inheritance. There were rewards that were going to be given to him. That's been decided for all eternity, and he was going to take on a different role. So there has to be a multiplicity, you might say, in the Godhead. There has to be more than one person. And one of those persons is going to have to become human. Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13, 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In his divine nature, he does not change, never will change, has not changed. But there was a time, here's Christmas, when he became man. So he's 100% God and 100% man. And as that man, he takes on humanity. Divine nature doesn't change. It's not belittled. It's not less than what it was. It's not changed in any way. But he becomes one person who has two natures. I don't know how to explain how that baby in the manger is fully human, which means that he's got to grow and learn and have his diaper changed and he's got to be fed. But at the same time, he's the one who created his mom. He's the one who is God. And as God He has not changed. But understand that when the author of Hebrews says that the Father appointed the Son to be heir of all things, it demands the Trinity and it demands that the Son become a human. So now He's the God-man, but 
Why did he have to be God? Why did he have to be man? Well, let's take the the man part first. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, especially verse 8, we learn that God said, look, there's going to come a king. He's going to be a human king. He's going to be the anointed one, the Christ. And he is going to reign on my throne forever. And he is going to receive the nations as his inheritance. So he's saying, there's coming this one who's going to be my king. He will somehow enable people to know me as king. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying here, Jesus was able to fulfill that role. God appointed him to receive this inheritance in eternity past. And he became man. And so he becomes that king so he can receive that inheritance. And he does that because... He died in our place. He had to become a man to pay the penalty for our sins. To live the perfect life in our place. So that perfection and that payment for sin could be given in our place. But he also had to be God. Because no mere man could undergo the wrath of God for sinners like Jesus did. More than dying for us and living for us, he came to reveal who God is. Who else in all the world can be qualified to reveal to us who God is and what he is like? There is only one. There is only one God-man, and that is Jesus. There is only one who was God and became man and was born in that manger. And we say, well, Tom, okay, so explain to us what this inheritance is that he received. To begin with, his inheritance... Psalm 2, verse 8, is the nations. And it's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. I am going to give these people to you as we learn in John chapter 6, 37, and 6, 39, and 17, 2. You're going to die for them. You're going to save them. And you're not going to lose a single one of them. They're going to come to you in faith And you're going to save them, you're going to forgive them, you're going to raise them up, and they are going to be your inheritance. Think about that. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you, I, we are His inheritance. He is our gift. He is the gift that the Father gave to us, but there's a sense in which we are His gift. And we have to be careful with that because... I know the culture that we live in will automatically decide, oh, I must be really worth a lot and I must be really cool because I'm his gift. No, we didn't deserve it. We are broken down and we are desperately in need of fixing, but God gave us to him as a gift even though we deserved the very opposite. So we are his inheritance. But also his inheritance involves the redeemed world. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Colossians 1.19. This world is broken. Christ came not just that we could be forgiven, not just so that we could have eternal life, but so he could fix this world. Does God care about this world? Does God care about typhoons and the hungry and, and human trafficking? And does he care about poverty and people who don't have water? Does he care about this physical stuff? Yes, because God took on flesh. And he came and that God-man 
died in our place and lived in our place, not just so that we as people could be saved, but so that this physical stuff around us and that includes us could be fixed. He cares about this world. And He showed it by sending His Son. So the Son inherits this fixed world to reign over the new heaven and the new earth. He will be reigning over it and He will be victorious over it. But also His inheritance includes His enemies. 1 Corinthians 15, 25-26. Part of His inheritance will include taking those whom He saves and subduing them to Himself so they're no longer His enemies. But those who refuse to follow Him, who remain His enemies. Satan and all of his cohorts are defeated by this ultimate human divine King. And there is only one in all the universe that can do that. Moses can't do that. Abraham can't do that. Muhammad certainly can't do that. Joseph Smith, there's no way he can do that. You and I cannot do that. No pastor, no elder, no one in all the church or all the world is qualified to do this except for the one God man. He is preeminent. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, He's the firstborn, which there means he just simply has preeminence over all. Here in Hebrews chapter 1, one of the points that the author of Hebrews is making, because these original readers were kind of trusting in angels. They thought, boy, if we could see angels, if we could experience angels, and they're pretty cool, we'd be okay. That would be what our life would be about and where our salvation is found. But the author of Hebrews says, no, as glorious as angels are, They are nothing compared to the Son. They serve Him, and they serve the ones that He saves. So He is supreme over all of them. Angels cannot bring us ultimate salvation. They cannot be the ones who ultimately communicate to us who God is. It is only Jesus Christ. He communicates to us God in the ultimate way. So... Pastors from an older era really made it part of their role and their goal to say, okay, I've got folks in this flock that don't really know Christ and they think they do. So we teach the gospel and we come alongside and we help them see that knowing religious language, doing religious things, having a religious background or coming from a religious family does not make us a Christian. And so they need to see that Christ And trusting Him as Savior is the only way. Folks, we need to see that. We need to see. If if you're here and you're in high school, you're in college, you're you're trying to figure out this thing of life, and, and you see all the variety around you, and all of the religions and the philosophies, and you think to yourself, why should Christ and Christianity stand out among all the rest? It is because we only can be saved through a God man. One who was able to undergo the wrath of God. One who could tell us who God is, that is God. And one who, as a man, took our place. Animals are not sufficient to pay the price for our sin. God is not the one who sinned. It has to be a man who dies in our place. So there's only one qualified. That's the first statement. It's the longest. It's the deepest that the author of Hebrews shares in these two verses. But oh, it's so important for us to get 
so that we are committed to Christ as the only way in sharing that message. But here's the second truth that he goes on to share. Not only is he the Lord, the, the King, the divine and human King over all or Lord, but secondly, Jesus Christ is the agent of all creation. Again, look at verse 2. Through whom, that is Jesus Christ, the Son, also He, God the Father, created the world. Now we know, Genesis tells us, that God the Father is the Creator. But here, we learn that He created through the Son. Father created through the Son, second person of the Trinity. Why should we sit up and take note of that baby born in a manger? Well, we've already seen He was the God-man. Uniquely qualified, but he's also uniquely qualified because he designed all this. He brought it all into existence. He created it all. Where do we want to go if we are having a hard time fixing something? You know, we go back to the instruction manual, back to the designer, back to the one who made whatever it is we're trying to wrestle with, especially if it's hard. Should we listen to Jesus Christ? Should we trust him as the only way to God? Yes, he's the one who made all this. Does he know what he's talking about when he sets forth for us how salvation happens, how it is that we're to live? You see, one of the things we wrestle with in our world, because there are so many thoughts coming at us, so much variety about ethics. Why is homosexuality sin? Why is it somehow wrong if you don't have a piece of paper that says you're married and this is a boundary that now you're married and before that you're not and you don't live together. Why should we listen to that stuff? Is it because my Sunday school teacher said it? Is it because my parents say it? No. It's because Jesus has taught us this because Jesus Christ has confirmed all this truth and said this is the only way. Jesus has clearly shown us that from the very beginning of creation, God determined in bringing man and woman together in marriage and bringing children into the world in that way that He was going to give to us a picture of how Christ relates to the church. And so there's only one way that that works. There's only one way that that picture works. And that is to have a man and a woman who are covenanted together, faithfully together, committed to each other to give the picture of how Christ relates to the church. Anything other than that. Trying it out, trying it on, man with man, woman with woman, does not carry out that picture. And it strikes at not only the very heart of the Trinity, but the very way of salvation itself to skew all of those truths. So if you understand who Jesus is, it's part of that Trinity. And He is the Savior of the church. And He wants to give us a picture in marriage. You understand, I need to listen to Him. And this stuff is extremely important, and I know it's true because He is the only Savior. He's the only one qualified to be that ultimate, real deal message and word from God. Thirdly, the author of Hebrews here teaches us also that Jesus Christ is in very nature God. We've been alluding to this. We've seen He was the God-man. We've seen He's the agent of creation. 
we've focused on his becoming human, but I really want us to get also that he was God. Here's how the author of Hebrews says it in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Some versions have translated this, he is the reflection, but that's incorrect. It's not saying he's the reflection. The moon reflects the sun. The moon does not have its own light. That's not what this text is saying. The word that's used here is more of this idea. It's like the the light that emits from the sun, S-U-N. That light comes from the very essence, the very center of the sun, S-U-N itself. It is part of that sun, but it also emits from that sun, and it shows us that the sun, S-U-N, is there. Hebrews here is telling us that the sun, S-O-N, radiates. He emits from the very essence of God himself. He radiates the glory of God. And that's also what is communicated by saying he is the exact imprint of his nature. The word imprint is the word character. It's a word that we get the word character from. So if you think of what is a person's character, what, what is inside of them? That's what this word is talking about. Look at the God-man who walked among us. He is the exact imprint of his nature, his essence, what makes him up. So we see he is the ultimate divine and human king or Lord. He's the agent of creation, so he knows how all of this works. He is in his very nature God. And fourthly and lastly, we learn here, that Jesus Christ is the all-powerful Lord over all. Again, verse 3. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17, Paul puts it this way. In him, that is in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. And I've already alluded to this. That baby born in the manger created his mom, but he also continued to hold her together. He continued while he was in that manger. Yes, 100% man, but as 100% God, he continued to hold the universe together. I really don't know how that works, but I know it's true. Think about what that communicates to us. Does God care about whatever it is you and I are facing? He does because he took on flesh. He became man. He walked. He lived. He suffered among us. And in our place. Even though he is the all-powerful Lord overall. So, we come back to our original question. How do we hold to a faith that is exclusive? How can Jesus be the only way to God? Well, he is the supreme and divine word from God and about God. And we've seen this morning why he's qualified to be that. He came to tell us about who God is. Should we be motivated to trust in Him as our Savior? Should we believe that He's the one who grows us and strengthens us as Christians? Yes. Should we believe that we must tell other people about Him because apart from Him, we will not know Christ? Is He sufficient if we are faint-hearted in this Christmas time for Him to strengthen us? Think about what we've learned about Jesus this morning. Does it encourage us in regard to these five truths. 
Have you forgotten the centrality and sufficiency of Jesus as Savior and as one who grows us? Think about who he is. He is sufficient. Have you come to think, well, you know, if I just kind of live a good life and I achieve the right things in the world, I've accepted moralism, do you think that's the way to success, to life, to salvation? It can't be. You're not qualified to save yourself. I'm not qualified to save myself. He is the only Savior. Have we ignored the need to persevere in our faith? Do we think we can pray a prayer and make a profession and live any way we want? No, He is the Lord. And He calls us to follow Him. He really changes us when He saves us. And He is able to keep us in that faith. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Tom Barnes of the Minden Evangelical Free Church. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus. Music